Hello, beloveds. Welcome to episode three of the Returning to Joy podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Michelle Leonard, and I am so pumped to bring to you this episode. In the book of James, a.k.a. Jacob, the scriptures command us to count it all joy. But what does that look like and how do we do it? Journey with me in this episode to find out. All too often, we treat joy like a dessert. We treat joy like something that if we're lucky, we'll get a chance to experience. But it's not, it's not necessary sustenance that we need day in and day out. It's a dessert. We can go without it. The full course meal that we must have is maybe faith, hope, wisdom, grace, mercy. But joy, that's something that we can go without. But this isn't scriptural. We grow accustomed to living without joy. And so then all of a sudden we just decide maybe it's something that we didn't have to have in the first place. But I want to blow that up out of the water right now in this podcast. This is the one that I'm probably the most excited to talk about. If you listen to the first two episodes that I did when I was saying I thought I was going to be talking about something else, but I haven't or I don't feel led to. This was that something. So I'm just very eager in this episode to talk with you about this. So before we get started, let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, because that's where the foundation is here. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, I'm reading from the ESV version. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Focusing on that word despising. Like when I read this scripture and was like intently looking at it, I thought, Lord, that despising its shame. What does that mean? What is happening there? When he's saying despising its shame, that that Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame. He's saying he considered it worthless. He considered it something that was not worth avoiding. It wasn't worth him pivoting, trying to go around, trying to wheel and deal with God and say, is there any other way? Let me move around this. I don't want to endure this. He, he endured it. He didn't consider it something to try and avoid. But here's the thing that struck me with that. I'm like, OK, Hebrews 12 is saying that Jesus despised the shame of the cross didn't consider it something to avoid, considered it worthless. But that conflicts to me with what we know about Jesus's angst that he expresses in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember, we see Jesus really struggling with the weightiness of the cross. This is in Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 56, where we see Jesus having a conversation with God in angst saying, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. He's struggling in angst with what he knows he's about to endure. So we know that Jesus had a conversation with God about his pain. We know that Jesus did wrestle with it. It was troubling for him. And I'm so glad that we have that passages in the Bible where we get to see the inner work thoughts and we get to see the Jesus wrestling before the father for what he's charged to do. Even in the midst of that pain of that anguish, 
he did not consider it worth avoiding, but instead he endured the cross. According to Hebrews, he did this for the joy that was set before him. See, it wasn't that Jesus did not experience angst about the cross. It wasn't that Jesus was not troubled by the cross. It wasn't that the cross was something light and easy for Jesus. In fact, it was heavy and sorrowful. In fact, he witnessed his friends not knowing how to be there for him in the midst of this very troubling time. He did it alone. And so it was not something that was easy, but in fact, it was of great challenge. But instead of avoiding it, instead of considering it of great worth, he considered the joy that was set before him of great worth. So for me, that always begs the question, what was that joy? What was it that was so joyful to Jesus that even the angst of the cross was not sufficient enough to deter him in his purpose, to deter him for where, from where he was headed and going? It was relationship. His joy was seeing himself, knowing that once again he would be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. His joy was knowing and seeing that you and I would have opportunity and would even come into be in right relationship with God through our acceptance of him. That was his joy. Relationship was the joy. It fueled the journey. Joy fueled Jesus's journey. And it is joy that fuels our journey as well. Let joy fuel the journey. In the book of James, referring to chapter one, verses two through four, where he says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds. I believe James in the back of his mind is referencing Jesus. He's referencing the one who's gone before us and who's had to endure the greatest trial that there is. Now James is encouraging us to do the same, to walk with the same joy beside us, not treating joy as a dessert, not treating joy as a luxury, but in fact, treating joy as the necessity that it is. James breaks it down for us even more um, in James chapter one, but this time verse 12, still in the ESV. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him like Jesus, who had a future hope. For him, the future hope was to be back with the Father and, of course, to have us at his side through, what the, through the work of what he did on the cross. We have that future hope as well. But because of Jesus, we also have a current hope. That word blessed in verse 12 literally means to be filled with indwelling presence and fully satisfied. If I was to rewrite this verse put it in my own words. I'd say filled with Emmanuel's presence and fully satisfied is the one who bears up under the presence of loss, of pain, trauma, false accusation, blessed and fully satisfied is that person. Another time when we see this word blessed, this particular word blessed used in scripture is when Mary is describing herself as she carries Jesus in her womb, which is incredible. 
we ourselves too are filled with the indwelling presence of God. So we have joy coming to us, but we also have joy we can tap into right now. So when we meet trials, we don't encounter them alone. We encounter them with this indwelling presence of God. We encounter whatever situation that we have to come up against. It, that situation also has to come up against the indwelling presence of God that we carry within us. We don't face anything by ourselves. We have a teammate in this life because of the work of Jesus. Jesus had to go at it alone. Jesus had to endure the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane alone. No one really understood what was happening and, and taking place, not even his disciples who had walked with him for years. But we don't have that issue. We have a very present help, and his name is Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So all of this goodness that makes me just so excited, it's just like, oh my gosh, like this is all good stuff that we have access to. And what James tries to do, going back to verse two through four, what James is trying to do for us is make it practical. What James is trying to do is break it down. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But what we're focusing in on is that count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He's showing us what the teachings of Jesus, whether that be teachings that he's spoken to his disciples or teachings that he's lived out by his life, how do we live those out? How do we participate in what Jesus was doing? How do we how do we walk that out in our own lives? For James, it is very much so not theory, but it's practice. And this count it all joy is a command. It's a call to action. It's involved. It's not passive. But it's claimed and put into pursuit. When I used to read that word, that scripture, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, I think I assumed that the scripture was just requiring of me that I just get there. Let me explain what I mean by that. When I used to read that verse, thinking that... What was really going on there was that the father was just asking us to get over it. I, I read it and kind of assumed, OK, so when I experience hard things, you're essentially saying get over it. You're essentially saying, I know that's painful. I know that's a trial. I know that's a hardship, but count it all joy. Just get there. I was assuming that what is required of me from that verse is, all right, if point A is the hardship, point B is counting it all joy. And it's just I'm, and it's what is the fastest route from A to B? Just get there. Take a light rail there. But as I've dug deeper into this verse, I'm realizing that that's not the father's heart. And that's not really actually what this verse is requiring of us. It's actually a lot more involved. See, what I was thinking was, okay, so I didn't get the job or I lost the job. 
that means now I need to just immediately get, I need, I need to do the responsible Christian thing. Being a good Christian looks like saying, hallelujah, praise God, all is well. And I am a, and I have a great peace and great joy. I'm just there. But really to really respond in obedience to this verse requires more action than that. It requires more involvement than that because this counting it all joy is not a theory. It's a practice. It's a command to action. It's involved. When he, when James is saying count it all joy, it's not saying passively get there is not passively received, but it's claimed and put into action. It's deliberate and careful judgment. It's engaged with our trial. See, literally when he's saying count it all joy, think about that. If I told you to count anything, that's not a passive activity. You deliberately have to take a count. That word is this like right judgment. There's this sense of judgment in that word. But my mind wonders. I think, wow, what did... What would have this looked like for Jesus? Even more fleshed out, if we could have seen even more of it in the written word. Like, what did it look like for Jesus to count it all joy in that situation, in that moment? Like, what did it look like for Jesus to weigh the situation that was in front of him against the foreground of the joy that was before him? I imagine that he had a conversation with his trial. I imagine that he had a conversation with that which was presented before him. I imagine he had a conversation with the cross. He saw the cross in front of him. Clearly, we see and we know that Jesus saw the weightiness of the cross, that Jesus saw and knew about the agony he would have to go through to endure the cross. He knew that he would be he would have people spitting in his face. He knew that he'd have friends like Peter who's walked with him for years, deny him, pretend as if he's never known him before. We know that he would have people that would mock him, that would misunderstand him, that would misrepresent him. But with that in front of him, I believe Jesus also then in that moment took an account of the joy that was set before him as well. I believe in that moment, Jesus saw you. And he saw me and he had great pleasure in knowing like what would come about in your life and in my life as a result of his work. I imagine that Jesus truly weighed every single thing that he would endure on this cross, but then weighed the great pleasure of every single thing that he would enjoy as a result of relationship with his father and as a result of relationship with us and considered then in that moment that the cross was worthless, that the cross did not have actually great weight in light of this great joy that was before him. But aside from that conversation, aside from intentionally weighing what was before him, all we can see in a situation is just the weightiness of what's before us. That's what James is communicating to us. That's what it looks like to count it all joy. It is to present before God, to own up, to confess, to reveal, 
the depths of the anguish in your heart, the depths of what you are wrestling against in the situation that you are dealing with. It is not to be fake and to just say, I am all well and nothing is wrong, but it is actually to be real, to confess it, to present it, to say, Father, this is heavy. This is weighty, God. Like, and to list, maybe even to list it out, what all is currently right now present before you that you need to count, that you need to take an account of. But then in that same moment, in that same sit down, that same sit down conversation between you, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, like you got to gather the whole team. (laughs) Having this conversation where you also say, "Okay, but what is the joy that I get to receive in this moment? What is the joy that you are setting before me? that I get to grab hold of because I believe in that conversation where you are weighing both the thing you have to endure and the, the joy that you will have revealed to you that you will get to enjoy. You will see that then what you are experiencing, what you are going through, it is not as weighty at all in comparison to this joy that has been set before you. But aside from seeing that joy that's been set before you, all you have is the trial. But praise God, we have, because of the indwelling presence of, of God, we have access to more. So this week, my encouragement to you is recognize the areas in your life, the times during your day, where you are in a full blown monologue in your head, where you are having a monologue conversation with yourself about an issue, about a hardship, about an emotion, about a thought, about another person. And I encourage you, recognize those places and switch to a dialogue. Invite Jesus into those conversations. Invite the presence of God into those spaces. Ask him what he has to say about what you're going through. What is it that could fuel you In this journey, what is your joy right now? These are questions that the father longs to answer. He's already speaking. All we have to do is open up our heart to hear. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 in the ESV version says, The joy of the Lord is our strength or is your strength. That word joy can be translated to mean the pleasure of the Lord is your strength. The father has pleasure. The father has delight. The father has joy. And it is not your joy, whatever you can muster up, whatever you can pep talk yourself into that can that can cause you to endure. But it is his joy that will cause you to endure all things. So tap into his joy by bringing him his presence into the conversation. I love how James says, when you meet various kinds of trials, remind yourself that you don't meet those trials alone. I encourage you, if you haven't been doing it already, it is time to introduce your trials to Jesus. It is time to say hello, trial. Hello, agony. Hello, depression. Hello, anxiety. I would like you to have a conversation with me, with Jesus. You get to meet this person, too. So you don't just get to get me alone. 
You don't get to corner me alone, but you get to encounter Jesus with me because you face nothing alone. And Jesus will cause you to walk through your situation and he will show you how to endure it with joy. want to thank you guys for tuning in to listen once again it really is a great honor to walk with you in this journey of returning to joy if you've been stirred and encouraged uh, definitely share this with a friend and get them on this journey with us because they need to know that they're not alone in this process i am actually going to leave an exercise for you in the show notes it's a series of questions to begin the dialogue with Jesus in regards to what is your joy and what do you look like fully walking in embodiment of joy. Um, It is time that we learn how to have those conversations with the Father because he says that my sheep hear my voice and a stranger they shall not follow. And oftentimes we can be following a lot of strangers and hearing a lot of other voices, but really what is key is that we hear his voice because No one, not even myself, is going to be able to counsel you and to provide hope and joy and peace to you, is going to be able to provide comfort to your soul, to the very depths of you, the very innermost parts of you, like the Father can. From his lips to your heart is where there really is found deep and real encouragement. Um, And so I'm going to leave just a couple series of questions that I encourage you to do. Um, And I, I would love for you to let me know how that goes. Um, Continue to leave reviews, continue to share with friends and family, and I will see you again next week.